All right. Just to be clear, because on a moment called Pentecost, when everybody heard clearly, I want to be clear. If you're still praying for rain, stop it. (laughs) Stop it. We don't need any more rain right now. We've got plenty. We have lakes that are historically full, which is a great blessing. And I'm thankful for most all drops of it. Some drops could have been spread a little bit more farther apart. It would have been all right. But that's not the way it comes, is it? It comes as a wave that washes over us. And we must be ready to receive it when it comes. We must be wise in the way we, we, ways that we live so that we might be good stewards of each drop of water that we receive, both that which sinks into the ground and that which runs off to nourish others below stream. Is it the same true with life in the Spirit? Doesn't the Spirit come to those who are seeking his heart? Doesn't God set on fire the people who are open to being set on fire for the most part, with a few exceptions? Paul, man, never had much of a chance. God just struck that rascal blind, you know, because he was so hard-headed, but he was so full of fire that God knew he could use that fire. But first he had to turn him around. In both cases, however, That spirit of power is felt by those who are seeking it. I'm going to call him out next week. He's out of town this week. Really poor planning on Mike Jones and his family's part just because they're traveling. This uh, display of tame flames and tongues in the sanctuary came out of his expression of the gift of art that God has given Mike, along with Lauren and David, who combined together to present us with something to remind us throughout this season of how God's power comes to each one of us individually as well as to the community of faith. And when God speaks in that kind of way, the language that he gives us becomes understandable by all. And that's really where I'm living this morning. We're going to be preaching a lot about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts in the coming weeks. So if you want to get ahead, just go ahead and read and try and figure out where the next story from Acts is coming because it will be stories about the Holy Spirit. On this day, 50 days after Passover, they celebrated the Feast of Weeks in biblical times, which also was known as Pentecost. There was never a more international crowd in the city of Jerusalem than was gathered there each year at Pentecost. It had historical significance because, you see, this was also the day when the Jewish people celebrated the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. So it was a natural place for God to speak once again of how he was calling his people to follow him. It also had great agricultural significances. First, First, the barley, the first of the very barley that was harvested was offered to God. Two loaves were offered in gratitude for the harvest, barley being very important to their nation. It was also important because it was a holiday for everyone Even the servants, another reason why Jerusalem was just packed filled with people. Now, what went on there is different. And most churches today, unless they're liturgical churches, they're not dressed up in anything different. Most churches today are kind of remembering Pentecost, but it does not have full sanctuaries just as ours does. Now, we had the misfortune of falling on a holiday this year. I get that. 
That will lower things somewhat. But even when Pentecost falls on a day, not a holiday, it is not in people's mind the same thing as Christmas or Easter or even close to the same significance. Now, it's true it's not the same thing. And yet, because of this understanding, and I would call misunderstanding of the Scriptures, Pentecost doesn't come close to getting its due. The coming of the Holy Spirit to earth was the coming of Jesus Christ again. He represented Christ and continued the work of Christ here on earth. Without the coming of the Holy Spirit, there would have been no church. There would have been no unity. There would have been probably a very much weaker witness on the earth. In fact, I would say there would be no witness by now had it not been for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come back to that in a little, a little later. But the events are also a little tough for churches in today's era because it uses words like speaking in tongues and they speak in other languages that they heard their own language. What a weird thing. Speak in English and if you're from China, hear it in your own native language from China. It was like all the dialects could speak their own language and everybody could hear everybody else. This is not the same gift of tongues that Paul is talking about in the book of Corinthians, although sometimes it is confused that way. And preached that way. One of my pet weaves was to listen to a sermon that Brother Swaggart loved to preach on TV over and over again about Acts 2 and the gift of tongues. And he described it in terms of the Corinthians. Well, I love Brother Swaggart to a certain degree. And I appreciate his ministry and his fire. I always loved that. But he just kind of had it wrong there. But he shouldn't feel too bad about that because another guy I love, William Barclay, who wrote all those little commentaries that people love to buy because they're cheap. And they speak to plain people. And he, he covers the whole New Testament. And, and in those books, you find so much knowledge. Let me read you what William Barclay wrote in his commentary about this phenomenon of tongues. He says, and I'm quoting, Don't really know, really know, emphasis on the really, what happened at Pentecost. He said, actually, Luke wasn't even there. I'm not for sure that means the rest of what Luke wrote wasn't good. But anyway, except that disciples had an experience of the Spirit flooding their being such as they had never had before. I agree with him there. He goes on to say that this story, though, this sudden experience where they acquired, as he says, the gift which was the ability to speak in their own languages and others could hear them in their own individual languages. And he says, well, that's just not likely. Hmm, you know, every preacher has a bad day, so does every theologian. He says, speaking in tongues, as they're talking about, he affirms, would be in Corinthians. And Paul didn't even much like that, uh, speaking in tongues as a major gift. He said, that's one reason that wouldn't have been, God wouldn't have associated that with this, basically. Because, you see, that would have caused people to think they were drunk, which he points out they actually thought they were drunk. So surely it was not that. Something so powerful and so important that it could be misinterpreted as being drunk. And then secondly, he said, it wasn't even necessary. I like this argument particularly. I like to make fun of it, rather, is what I should say. It was what, remember, we all have our bad days. It wasn't necessary because there were two main languages that almost everyone spoke throughout the region. They spoke in Aramaic and they spoke in Greek. 
And he said they didn't even need to hear a common language in their own language. It wasn't necessary. So therefore, this is just probably not a real accurate story. Well, he said it seems likely that Luke confused the gift of tongues with the gift of speaking in other languages. And he said the really old message of this passage is that every the voice of God through the Spirit of God could reach every heart of every nation and tongue. Now, I'm going to agree with him on that last part. That was the real part of this. That was the coming of it, but not just that. And he doesn't stop there either. But there is a possibility of explanation that I would share if Brother Barclay were still alive and he would be deferential enough to listen to me, which is probably not likely. He knows so much more than I ever would. However... I would say to him that it is also possible that God made the hearing of the gospel in each person's own native language or dialect for a specific reason that was demanded in this case. So that we might always understand and remember that the gospel was personalized to each one for the best possible reception and understanding. The gospel was for everyone, of every nation, of every tongue, of every dialect, and should be spoken to them in such a way that they could grasp it and therefore be saved. It was necessary for God to display God's own power to get their hard-headed attentions, much like ours, so that he could speak to them clearly about these facts, and they might never be forgotten by the church that was being given birth that day. That is a critical part of this message. And it is also the message that the church struggles with keeping. Now, I know that Pentecost is a little tough on us today because the church in our nation by some reports, is struggling. You can read all kinds of quotes about it, and most of them are true, but I don't think they go far enough. I think that they report on the difficulty in reaching the millennials. But they they fail to talk about how spiritual millennials are and how much they're still seeking as a whole, a word and a touch from God. What they really should be talking about if they want to talk about The falling of Christianity is not to talk about that so much because, quite frankly, in the southern hemisphere, the gospel is exploding in nations around this world. It is exploding in nations where they are trying to keep it out. The gospel of Christ has not slacked up its work. But it is true in this nation that the church of Jesus Christ, in many of its forms and expressions, seems to have lost much of its joy, most of its power, and much of its influence. That part I would agree with. And that part I'm angry about. You say, well, why are you mad about it? Because I'm part of that church. And I don't like to lose. And besides that, I don't like to think that while I'm one of the mature people around, the church that Jesus Christ founded is struggling in my own nation. That's a personal issue. Perhaps it's personal to you. And if it's not, perhaps it should be. I'm going to try and convince you of that the rest of this morning. Because you see, God had a plan. Oftentimes, you've heard me say several times, I don't know why God selected 12 men, one of whom he knew was going to jump ship, to be the beginning of his church. It was a bad idea. 11 common people, not too bright. Some of them hard-headed as a stick. And then he added to that mix, well, he let them add somebody. Can you remember his name? Starts with an M. 
You got it. And then he also added Paul, who really was the 12th one, I think, added. Paul. Why would you ever pick Paul? He was killing Christians, for goodness sake. He picked Paul, though, as really, I think, his 12th disciple. That was the Holy Spirit's doing. They picked these different people to spread the gospel. And I've often said, and you're still doing it today. God, you're messing up. Look at all your churches who are doing poor because they have poor leadership. They have poor pastors and they have poor lay leadership. They have poor people. You know, God, you could have picked a few more rich people. Why didn't you get some of them? Why didn't you pick somebody brighter who could write clear? Why didn't you pick more Wesleyan scholars who'd write books that were not in language for the denominations in faith? Well, we're working on that. Lauren is being called to that ministry. I don't know if she knows it yet. She kind of does, but I'm convinced she is, and y'all are going to pay for it. I just want to be sure you're awake about that. I just want to be sure you're awake. But she has the mind for it. She has the heart for it. And she has the beginning theological work of being able to do it, writing in what to some would be a foreign language about the things of the Scripture that is so alive in churches that are Pentecostal churches and in churches that are holiness churches because it is at the very heart of what Methodism was in its very beginning. How dare us as United Methodists to allow education to surpass experience of the Holy Spirit? How dare us? Now, don't get me wrong. They were going a little nuts back then in the first part of that century. They were getting so far into experience, they were forgetting the knowledge. How dare us ever think that experience alone is enough? Because it's not. It takes both faith of heart and mind, faith of worship and faith in action. It takes faith that expresses itself in the language that the people can hear. And you know what? Millennials don't like a lot of church phrases. I was reading several articles about that last night. I, I followed somebody's site they hooked me up to. When I started reading it, I just kept on reading because they were saying so many sensible things. I started just to preach his points, but I didn't. But they were good. They were talking about what millennials like and don't like about churches and that we need to be listening, and we do. Millennials don't like clicks. Millennials don't like a lot of divisions based upon what one believes or how active anyone is at a particular time in their place. Millennials do not like judgmentalism. The Spirit came to unite us. Now, let's just be clear about this. Let's just take our own lovely little group of Christians. I mean, we flocked to Carrollton because Carrollton has a particular particular kind of frame of reference for people. If they want to be United Methodist and want to be evangelical, they end up in Tyler Street. They end up in First Methodist Carrollton. They often end up in two or three other of our congregations, Asbury and Denton. There's some other places that they, they typically go to as well because they are drawn to an evangelical, spirit-filled expression of the gospel. They like life and faith mixed together in a lively mixture. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. But we here in the Methodist Church, if we're not careful, we fall prey to our own strength. We are good at attracting people like ourselves. Thank God we are good here at attracting people who are not like us. People from other nations, people with other main uh, languages that speak in different ways. People who have different customs that make some of the customs of the American Christian Church difficult for them. We know that the gospel is exploding in Africa, and yet much of their culture it would be considered unchristian by much of us. And we struggle with that as a, as a denomination that's worldwide. But the reality is we struggle with it right here in River City, Carrollton, Texas. 
I've been here long enough now to know a lot of you folks, not all of you, but a lot of you, and just hear this message clearly. You may think you all think the same, but I'm here to tell you, you don't. You have major differences, and if you want to be judgmental about it, there are those who would stand in one corner and say, well, well that brother's over there. They're, they're, they're Christians in their trying, but they've got a long way to go. And, you know, if we, had, if we had asked some of our people, they would say, oh, no, we're all just alike. Well, we're not. We're not. And we're never going to be, I pray, that we're never all going to think about everything the same exact way because that's just not the best way to express the faith. It took a hard-headed preacher to reach this hard-head. Brother Johnson was nothing like a United Methodist I ever knew when he walked into the first United Methodist church to do a revival. First of all, he didn't stay behind the pulpit. It's kind of catching, you know. He, when it was not popular, moved out from behind it. And he preached to that congregation like they were stepchildren. And since I knew most of that congregation, I really enjoyed that. I wanted to see him get on those church people. I mean, that was great. That included my parents. That included everybody there. Get after him, preacher. Much to my surprise, in the end, he got on me. And I ended up accepting Christ as my Savior. But you see, he came about unapologetically preaching the Word of God. And he said it, must have said it three or four times. I don't care whether you like what I'm saying or not, because I'm going to leave. And it doesn't matter to me if you pay me or not, because I'm going to eat whether you pay me or not. He was not going to sugarcoat anything in calling people to Jesus Christ. But he was smart. He did it in a way that attracted people because he was speaking in a language that many needed to hear. Sometimes we in the United Methodist Church, we're just too blessedly comfortable. We just like our Methodist ways. And we like our Methodist worship. I don't know how y'all got so far away from it. But it seems to have worked in many ways. You did not leave all your roots, but rather you redefined some of those roots and you redefined your participation in worship. Some of that probably because some of those Nazarenes bled into our church. <laughs> some of the people bled in from other evangelical churches and they found a home here because of the uniqueness of this body. There are people who are looking for homes, but they're looking for people who will speak their language. We must be careful that we are offering them Christ, not just our version of Christ, but just Christ himself. We need to be careful that we're offering it in a way that can be seen as attractive. If you offer it in an unattractive way, you're going to get a response you don't like. If you're going to act in the gospel in a way, and then when you bring them in here, you try to fish and bait with them, bait and fish, whatever that is, bait and fish, you bait them by thinking they can come into church. I really got convicted of this a few years back. That sometimes we make joining church so easy that when people get in church, they're going, what happened to that church I joined that was so easy to join? And that's particularly true a lot of times of men. Do you know a lot of men in our world don't go to church very often for one reason? You know what that reason is? Anybody want to voice it? Anybody want to be honest? Anybody want to talk about your friends? What was that? Lazy. Wow, I wasn't going to say that. Don't, <laughs> don't tell my wife that, okay? I don't want her getting on to that. <laughs> in the South, it has been preached for so long that if you drank a beer, you were not a Christian. That many men stayed away. In the church, it's been preached often that 
you need to come and sit quiet and listen and go home. And that's just so antithetical to most men. You know, it's, it's catching, though. Now in our schools, they take little boys into the classroom. And the first thing they do is they strap them into their seat. And they put locks on their chairs so they can't get out. And they hold them there for interminable amounts of time into a human beast that wants to move and act and run and play and scream and holler. They say, be quiet, don't move, and learn. And they go, I can't do this. And so we give them medicine. (laughs) I'm so fortunate I wasn't born now. I would have been in a cage. (laughs) Fed my daily ration of pills and water to calm me down, to make me trainable. I was trainable the old-fashioned way, by my father's threats. And they were more powerful than medicine. Trust me. But today, sometimes, we don't really reach out to people where they are. Men like to, many of them like to get their hands on things. They're quicker to believe about Christ by doing something for God and for others than they are to come and sit and be lectured to in a two-hour session. Somebody said, that's why I should preach shorter. So I'm going to today. What time is it? Okay, we're good. Now, God made possible the hearing of the gospel in each person's language for he wanted them to understand it and be able to receive it you see the gospel was for everyone and that's why the spirit came the gospel came in such a way that everybody could understand it so that everybody would know that the spirit was also for each person the tongues lit on each person No person was left out. Like the spiritual gifts, no person is left out. Everybody has one. Everybody has at least one. God came to give his spirit so that nobody would be left out and that the spirit would be available to everyone. The presence of God, the knowledge of the love of Christ, available to each person despite the church and yet should be because of the church. What convinces us, what convicts us of sin, what empowers us to live for God, what sustains us in difficult days and loss of loved ones and struggles financially is the Spirit of Christ that we have made known to us through the contact with the Holy Spirit to me. Now, you can convince me of a lot of things, but you cannot convince me that God does not love me because the Spirit bears witness with my own soul that God loves me. And nobody can take that from me. No church, no pastor, no preacher, no theologian, no evangelist. That wasn't always so. I wasn't always firm enough in my faith. You know, I want to go to the altar every time the preacher preached because I was certainly sinning. And I could be convinced if I just listened hard enough and forgot enough that God didn't love me as I was because I was not yet perfect. We don't need to convey that kind of gospel to anyone. We need to convey to them that just as we are, Without one plea, just like the old hymn says, we can come to God and God will accept us. The Spirit was for the church to incorporate us into the body of Christ. Now, let's just be clear. Jesus Christ didn't need Eastern Christians, Western Christians, Roman Catholic Christians, and Protestant Christians. Jesus didn't need all the hybrids in between. Jesus really only needed one body of Christ. And given God's own option, if it wasn't for our own thick heads, I think God would still have one church. Would it be the Roman Catholic Church? I would be willing to try to convince them, no. But it would be one Catholic church, meaning universal church, of all believers. 
That is a church we must have entrance into, the universal body of Christ. Denominations are good, and they're helpful for our own hard-headedness and allow us to worship peacefully with one another, so to speak. But really, the more united we are, the stronger we are. That's why I had the kids huddle up. You'd be surprised. Here they are going to school with these people. It takes a little encouragement for them to touch one another. You know, especially at that age, right? We'll get in here. What, once they got to giggling and having fun together, then they didn't want to leave or be quiet, right? My own fault. That's the way the church should be. We should be a giggling body of joy that is so together that when anybody comes into contact with us, they want to stay. They want to stay because we're so filled with joy and love for everyone, including the one who appears to be so sinful on the outside but who's trying to find his way forward just like those of us who have a head start on them. The gospel of Jesus Christ should empower the church to be the church. As far as the church dying, it ain't going to happen. Write it down. Every time you read that the church is going to die, write it down. It ain't going to happen. Because God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, started with 11, and they weren't that prize litter either, right? You can't convince me that God can't do it again over and over and over again. If every church and denomination in this great country closes its doors, there will be other new expressions of the Christian faith and followers of Christ as empowered by the Holy Spirit that will spring up and multiply like wildfire. You can't stop us because you can't stop God. You can't stop love. Now, we can stop our church we can be hard-headed, we can be complacent, we can function only on, focus only on ourselves and not on others who are non-believers. We can do that, and if we do, we will strangle out the spirit that God is trying to infuse us with by just being hard-headed. Some of you are saying, well, I, that's a good word for some of them out there, but I'm through. Well, if I ever find out that you stopped yourself and you think you're through because you've gotten old, I'm coming after you. And all you older folks out there, you know which ones I'm talking to. You're not that old. If you were that old, you couldn't be here today. If you could hear my voice today, you're not that old. You still have energy left. Maybe you need to give more of it to the church and less of it to something else in order that you might be more fruitful, but you still have enough energy to make a difference. And all you middle American folks out there, we got any of those? I think we got a few of those. You know, the ones whose children are grown or just about grown, and you're kind of panting with excitement that they're all going to be in college soon. Your house is going to be clear, and before long they'll be out of college, or maybe they just are, and you're thinking, man, I got all this money. I got all this time. What am I going to do with it all? I don't know. Are you Christian or not? If you're Christian, you're going to use that time, that energy, and more money to make an impact on this earth. That's what God's Spirit has come to whisper in your ear. You say, I've never heard it. That's because you wear earplugs. When God wants in your pocketbook, you say, no, 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 I'm retired. I can't replace this money. You know, the other day I read another article about retirement. Some dude who, I don't know, supposedly predicted lots of falls in the past said 2006 is going to be an off. I mean, 2016 is going to be terrible. Stock market is going to go to you-know-where in the local handbasket. And given that I'm supposed to be able to retire 2017, that's the popular date among pastors. It ain't going to happen here, but anyway, there. I thought, great, great timing, God. Let's cut my retirement again 
So just cut it again so it gets smaller and smaller. Then I remembered, oh, yeah, it's not the Dow Jones that's going to take care of Doug and Sally when they retire. It's God Almighty, and he knows what we need. He knows we got far more than we need now anyway. And besides that, who said anything about retiring? Who gets to retire from serving God? Never did understand that concept. Now, I might work less. It'd be harder to find. You may be having to find me. Where's Doug? Aren't we paying that guy? And I'll show up eventually then when you get to catching me. The reality is we're not as good as we once were when we get older, perhaps, for as long as we used to be, but we're better in short spurts than we ever were before because we have more wisdom. We have more willingness because the end is closer. If you hadn't checked, I have. It's closer. Man, I won't have to prepare any more sermons. I'll get to go to heaven and hear all the great preachers preach. I might even hear Jesus preach a sermon or two. Can you imagine that? He might do that in heaven. Last thing. Acts reminds us it's not always easy to be the church. It's not always easy to spread the gospel. Anybody want to stand up and give a testimony to that? We're struggling here. We're Struggled for a number of years in this new place where we planted ourselves. School's been struggling to get enough enrollment for it to continue forward. It's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy being a teenager, is it? Nope. Don't worry, you'll grow up soon. It gets worse. (laughs) Sorry to tell you. You'll be free to make more of your own messes, but you'll still have messes and, you know, you look over at Mom and Pa to pull you out again, you might notice that they're looking the other way. They got busy. No, you probably won't. They'll probably throw the life rope out to you, right? Everybody struggles at every age with life. Life can be difficult. But you know what? Nothing is hopeless. I remember Gordonville. It's a closed church now, and no wonder. When I got there, they had five members. Every Sunday, they had five members. There was a revival that broke out the 12 months we were there. When we left, they had seven. (laughs) Two or three years later, four years later, they closed. I don't know what happened from going from five to seven and then back again. I got a feeling a couple of the saints left the earth. And I've got a feeling that those that were left thought they were all alone. Church of Jesus Christ is never alone. I belong to everybody who bears the name of Christ in their lives. They may not claim me, but I'm claiming them. They may not ever see me in worship because I'm worshiping somewhere else, but they're part of me. The body of Christ everywhere is capable of incredible things if we're willing to let our hearts be set on fire. Now, if we're not, then don't worry. I'll keep patting you on the head and making fun of you until you get rid of me or change your ways or somebody else comes in and gets you fired up and suddenly you're not just a bump on a log anymore waiting for what befalls you next. I'm not a waiter. You've seen me two years almost now waiting. My waiting days are over. I've got the hoe out. I've got the garden plow bought. I've got the knife sharpened, cutting down all the weeds. We're going to work. Those of us who will work, 
And the church of Jesus Christ in this place is going to blossom through the power of God's Spirit honoring our work and our unity together. We're going to do it because God is going to enable us to do it. And God is able. He proved it then. Can you hear the rushing wind? I really wanted to do the rushing wind thing, but everybody got nervous. That would be a little bit trickery, wouldn't it? I want it so loud in here you couldn't think. I want it like a mighty rushing wind amidst the tongues of flame. And you know, I got two months for Lauren and David to figure that out. (laughs) Not to make it too cheesy, but to remind you that the powerful presence of God comes in unexpected ways and is intended for every nation and every tongue on this earth. To God be the glory to every person whose heart is set on fire. Gracious God, we thank you and we love you. If there's someone here who doesn't know you, Lord, we'll just get them right down here right now, and let's take care of that. If there's anyone here, Lord, while we're standing up and seeing that is a follower of you but thinks they're a solitary Christian and doesn't know they're part of the body of Christ, let them know that. Let them just come right down here this day, this morning, and we'll hold them together close, and we'll celebrate the body of Christ as it grows larger and larger, not only in this place but around your world. We continue to worship the Spirit this morning, Lord, as you send your Spirit to us. And we do it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.